Amen. Well, today is the 6th of October already, and uh, we want to welcome you to our midweek service tonight. And for those of you uh, that may possibly be listening to this service in our podcast on Spotify, activating, uh, this would be podcast number 13 uh, under the genre or the subject of church. And the title tonight uh, is a simple title, uh, but I think many times um, if we don't visit it or we have not learned it, it could be uh, somewhat maybe overpassing in our thought. And the title tonight is, Do You Know Right From Left? Or in other words, Do You Know Right From Wrong? Uh, But the main title, um, without any explanation, is Do You Know Right From Wrong? from left and it's something that jesus begins to deal with and as we uh look at the last chapter in the book of jonah from our sunday message um we're going to take a look at a a portion of scripture where in the behavior as we went over our service uh podcast number 12 uh is a sunday service and uh, knowing who you are it's also on youtube and the message was about becoming who you are by knowing who you are. Now, we know that as we looked at uh, Jonah on Sunday and his behavior, uh, he was an impatient person, uh, quick to anger, uh, selfish, stubborn, proud, excuse me, disobedient. And in some of those similarities in our own personal life, if we don't learn who we are, we will have a difficulty becoming who we are. And so when we think about that, some of those little, for lack of better words, hangups, shortcomings, will prevent us from fulfilling who we believe God would have destined us for, uh, to become uh, who we're called to be and how we're supposed to function in this world. So join with me to Jonah chapter 4. And like I said, we're going to just end this chapter. Uh, we're going to read through the whole thing. It's Wednesday, so we read the Bible all the way through in particular sections uh, of Scripture. as hopefully more of a learning Bible study, kind of uh, stir your, uh, your intrigue or, or intrigue your mind to want to think deeper than just a, a sermon or a preachy word. Uh, hopefully you could take everything tonight. Apply it to your portfolio of knowledge of God's word and use it as life goes on. Jonah chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He became angry. Now, um, I'm going to read through this real quick because we read portions of this uh, on Sunday. So I don't want to repeat that. But we see already that exceedingly... uh, Uh, Jonah was once again displeased by what God was doing, what God possibly would do, and he became angry again. So he was a very angry, angered person when he didn't like what was being told to him or he didn't agree with what was going on. Kind of sounds like us uh, as adults, right? In the reference to when God's doing one thing and we want to do another. So let's read on verse two. So he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in the country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. I was trying to justify his disobedience. 
how we many times as well do. He says, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Verse 3, therefore, no, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went on in verse 5, and the Bible says, So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter, and sat underneath it uh, in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city of Nineveh. And the Lord God prepared, in verse 6, a plant, and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned in verse 7, the next day God prepared also a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened in verse 8, when the sun arose that God prepared a vermit east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself again and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. Verse 10 goes on to say, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night or in a night and perished in a night. So it was only one. It was up in one day and was gone another day. In verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? And much livestock. So God's really quick here to take an account, an inventory of some of the things that Jonah is doing. And when we think about salvation today, after the Christ, after Christ's birth and, and life and crucifixion and resurrection, that we sometimes think that there may not be this accounting uh, system or inventory of our behaviors. Sometimes I think we forget that there is a difference between God and Jesus. And here we know that Jonah is dealing with God. And so God in the form of father and creator. And so here. He begins to take an account of what Jonah is doing. Now we know that Jonah is angry and he wants to be put to death. But rather than stomp on the plant for withering and dying. He has mercy on that plant. And instead he gets angry at God. He gets angry with God so much that he wishes himself death. Now Jesus, I mean God responds and then says. I mean, you, man, you had pity on this plant. What more should I not have pity upon this great city 
And then he references a, a specific number. He says 120,000 people cannot discern, or the New Living Translation says, they cannot tell the difference between their right hand and their left. Now, I want you to understand this, that many times there's different debates that go on, and many felt that that, that word, when he says thousand persons, now I'm, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, but in the majority of, of translations, whether the NIV, New Living Translation, uh, English Revised, and so forth and so on, it says people. And the persons, whether persons or people, some think that it's children. And the reality is if that there were if there was 120 children, meaning like adolescents, you know, maybe under six years old or five to ten year olds that are just learning life, then that means then they would probably be, let's just say one parent had each one of these kids uh, you know had uh, there were two kids to a family so to speak so then that means that if there's two then there is 120,000 so let's say there's 60 families and if there was 60 families and there's a mother and father then that's uh 120 um, is that 120? Okay, I'm, I'm a little confused. Got myself all mixed up here. So 120,000 individuals. If you take two kids per family, there's 60,000 families. And then that means that if there's two parents, then there's 120 parents. Or if it was one child to each family, then it was 120 times two for a mother and father. So there's 240,000 uh, parents for each one of those 120,000 children. So together, you're looking at 300, almost 400,000 people, if not more. And if you understand the region of Nineveh, it was not that big in order to. Uh, be able to handle uh, the capacity of that many people. So when you look at the historical look at this portion of scripture, it is obviously found that these persons or people were dealing with the adults. See, the expression that is interpreted to mean either young children who are yet to learn right from left or adults who do not understand right from wrong. And I think that that's where it actually comes to. See, because there's two conclusions. 120,000 are young children appeal to a straightforward reading of the word. So these, you know, these people or these children. And in the reality, that that's more of a, a, a practical use in modern translations. Like I said, the message, New Living Translation, so forth and so on. Um, but the idea of not knowing right from wrong naturally invokes thoughts of young children that are maybe usually five years old or younger, because you think after a five-year-old, they pretty much have learned from their parents what is right and wrong. I mean, if you can think back. 
who do not understand this difference. However, if Nineveh contained 120 young children, the population of the city must have been at least 600,000. And I'll give you this. I, you know, I kind of went over the numbers, you know, 240 plus another 120. You know, that's, you know, 360. It's saying here, population of the city must have been around at least 600,000. Now, as I said, the walls and the, the, the geographical area of Nineveh, where the city was, was not big enough to have that amount of people occupying it. Amen. And roughly, it is proven through archaeological remains that the walls or within the city walls would not have contained more than about 175,000 people. And these, and I'll give you a reference, these archaeological remains or findings, uh, you can look them up at www.studylight.org, view numbers, equal sign, T is in Tom, 4620. That's www.studylight.org forward slash view dot cgi number equal sign t is in tom 4620 if you want that i can actually um you probably post it on the comments or um you can text me and and i'll get that to you so these are findings off of that 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 um that website dealing with the reference to these archaeological remains. So if the city wall limit was only 100, capacitated at only 175,000, and if we were looking at the 120 being young children, five years and younger, then the population would have to be estimated out around 600,000 people. And it just doesn't, the, 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 the evidence does not prove that. Why am I saying that? Because in this portion of scripture, God is really dealing with you and I. He's dealing with you and I as adults and not so much the children. The children, if we can remember, according to the word of God, is more of our responsibility as adults to raise them, train them, and lead them in a great example in our own life, the ways of the Lord. As parents, it is our responsibility to raise them in the ways of the Lord. So when we look at this title, do you know right from left? Do you understand right from wrong? It's very, very crucial that you and I understand this because in this portion of scripture, we're, we're hearing a message. And that message is God is gracious and merciful. God is gracious and merciful. And for just you and I alone, if we think about it, has not God been gracious and merciful upon our lives in the way in which we've gotten to the place that we are today? I'm over 50 years old now. I'm 52. I mean, I could tell you this, that God has been very gracious and very merciful for me to be able to see life up until this moment. And some of us, amen, may have an even more difficult testimony as far as where we come from some of us amen uh, as we've we can numerously hear different testimonies of people uh, whether it's fighting cases in the criminal system or fighting uh, life and death cases 
whether in sickness or in terminal uh, in terminal diseases or even just the lifestyle of drugs or drinking and so forth and so on. Maybe you've been in an accident and uh, you should have been uh, incapacitated. Uh, incap incapacitated to a, a wheelchair or something maybe you know crippled or or maybe even dead not alive um and so when we think about that we can actually reference and remember we started off this whole study in, in the 20-year anniversary through Haggai and a, a lesson about looking backwards as we're going forward to see how far God has brought us and so there's a spirit that God is trying to speak to us and today we see this in the last chapter of the book of Jonah and trying to learn who we are in Christ, who we are in God, and how we were created for such a time as this to fulfill a purpose. Possibly, right? But until we know who we are, we will never become who we are. In other words, amen, like I said earlier, and I opened up with this, that there's a possibility that some of these hang-ups or shortcomings could prevent us from fulfilling the purpose and calling that God has for you and I. Now, jumping from that into today's message is, do you know right from left? In other words, do you understand right and wrong? Because I want to show you this, that it's very important to us as adults. And moreover, for, the, for those of us who have been under God's mercy and tender loving care uh, of graciousness and mercifulness, that you and I are a different category in reference to more like Jonah than we are like this of the Ninevites. Let's read on. See, when we look at this, we find that, that the closest biblical parallel to the reference between uh, those who know the law of the Lord and those who do not. And I'm going to give you a reference to a scripture here. For example, in Ecclesiastes uh, 10.2, the Bible says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And I want you to understand that. We have seen periodically in different, well, in really one other portion of scripture where the Lord tells us, in regards to don't let the right hand or okay this is the right right so it's, so we see this in ecclesiastes amen it says this let me read it again a wise man's heart inclines him to the right but a fool's heart to the left and so we see this that in jonah it also says the same thing in the same order in verse 11 and should i not have pity on nineveh that great city in which more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern or who do not know or who have the or who are unable to see the difference between their right hand and their left hand and i'm saying this because it is important for us to see that when we look at these portions of scripture, it becomes very, very evident that there's a difference. See, there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 3, when we look at this one sta say, statement in the New Testament, that the left hand 
doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Amen. And so in this portion of scripture in Matthew 6, 3, it stands in this place. Let left hand should not know or however the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. I want you to understand it in Matthew 6, 3. It's not saying the right hand. It's saying the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing. But yet in these other portions of scripture like Jonah or Ecclesiastes chapter 10 or Jonah chapter 4, it states the right hand first. Not being able to determine between the right and the left. Now, when we look at Ecclesiastes, we see that a wise man's heart inclines him to the right. So a wise man, a righteous man, a good man, an obedient and faithful man, a God-fearing man, their heart will recline to the right. But a foolish man to the left. And then it goes into Matthew that the left doesn't know what the right is doing or should not. Not that they don't know, but the left should not know what the right and it's not the same reference. See, in that reference in Matthew 6, 3, it's dealing about doing things in secret. And that we do it out of humility and the goodness of our heart. Well, what we're dealing with here in the Old Testament understanding of the right and left, it comes to that, like I said, the biblical, the closest reference in biblical term, that it is that a people are unable to know the difference between right and wrong. Amen. Because see, there's other scriptures. I'll give them to you real quick. Proverbs 28.5. That's Proverbs 28.5. Galatians 4.8. 1 Thessalonians 4.5. And 1 John 4.8. You can press rewind and get those scriptures. And read those because they all deal with the same. As the Bible often speaks of the wicked as those who do not know God. Now, on the cross, Jesus prayed for the Father to forgive his murderers. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, and it says, For they do not know what they are doing. They do not know what they are doing. They are unable to know. They cannot discern right from left, right from wrong. And so I want you to understand this, that when we look at, at Jonah, we're looking at a person who is called by God, who's the prophet of the Lord, and he has been sent to this city and to this city to bring forth a redemptive message and in God's desire to see them turn from their ways so that God would not destroy the city. Now, when we think about this, um, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says this, we read, in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for, for, from lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And so the Ninevites, they didn't know. And we can obviously see and throughout this portion of scriptures, and there's even this whole book from the beginning when God calls uh, uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh, we see that the Ninevites were an enemy. They were, they were an enemy to, to, to Jonah. It was obvious that he was just turned inside out, knowing that the fact that God would possibly even 
forgive them. And he didn't want that because he says, didn't I tell you in, in chapter four, he goes back to justify his disobedience. Isn't it like I said just to you the other day that you were going to do this? Therefore, that's why I went to Tarsus because I knew you were going to do this. And so the reality is, is that in, in, in New Testament form for you and I that have been saved and under the, the, the salvation of Jesus Christ, the reality is when we are not witnesses and when we're unable to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, sharers of the gospel, and proclaimers of our testimony of what God has done in our lives, and we literally block and rob others who do not know Jesus from that mercy call to be gifted and blessed with his gracious covering of the blood of Jesus. So just like Jonah, had Jonah not preached to these Ninevites, they would have never turned from their ways. And so many times I want you to see this in the spiritual realm, that when we're proud, when we're disobedient, uh, when we're unfaithful, um, and we're people who just get angry so quick, we tend to have those shortcomings come in our lives and prevent us from being who God saved us to be. Now, I want, I want to just kind of explain that just real shortly here. Saved us to be because, because see, when we were lost and bound, that wasn't who God intended us to be, even from Adam and Eve. That wasn't in his, his intended creative power in creating Adam, just like you and I, that we've been re, uh, created through uh, uh, procreation. We have been birthed in sin by the nature of man being passed on from man to man and mother and child. But the reality is, God has. An ultimate plan. And that ultimate plan is that you and I come home. That we return to eternity for eternal life forever, for eternity. So God has an ultimate plan for you and I. But in that, some of these traits that we can find in Galatians chapter 5, that in the fruit of the Spirit, we see that there are things that are not part of the fruit of the Spirit. And those things will prevent us from inheriting the kingdom of God. And so, therefore, we do not reach or obtain God's ultimate gift, which is eternal life. I know. I want you to understand this. We pray right now, just like Jesus prayed to forgive his murderers, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know right from wrong. They were blinded. And this is God's great process of grace and mercy and Jonah knows this that when we're blinded by sin when we're blinded by compromise and we're blinded by our flesh God wants to be gracious and merciful to us and he wants to redeem us and save us he wants to protect us and provide for us that's what was Jonah's mission and Jonah missed that because of because of who he was being at the moment and not who he was becoming to be at that moment he threw it all away. So I want to close with this because this is, in short, a very simple message to understand because the book of Jonah is not very big. But the message is even huge, and we can go on this for days. And so that I won't uh, take up all night in trying to explain this, there is a couple of points that God really 
wanted us to hear tonight and, and to know. And that one point is just that. That there is a difference. He wasn't talking to the children. Or else there'd be 600,000 people in Nineveh. And we know by archaeological finds and remains and evidence that the city was only big enough by the inner walls of the city was only maxed out at the capacity of, of, of its residents at 175,000. And we know that the Bible says, or the archaeological Bible says it, but the archaeological proof in the article that I gave to you that it is evidently proven that they could only have a capacity of about 170,000. So God wasn't referencing just little children five and under. He was talking about adults who were blinded, whether it was through the bondage of, of Babylonian captivity for the 70 years that they had experienced this season of people. Or maybe it's you and I that uh, we've just lost our way and we've just become so cohesive and coherent to what the world is doing and we forget that God has an ultimately different plan. And so he says there's 120 people that can't even tell or they don't know from right from wrong. They don't know right from left. And so the first point is just that, that God is talking to the people. And, he, and, and second, he's, he's a gracious God and a merciful God when we're blind by our flesh and by our sin. And the third point, that he was going to use Jonah. He had a different plan for Jonah, but because Jonah wasn't paying attention to who he was being at that moment, he wasn't able to be who he was supposed to be in that moment by God's order of sending him. In other words, God sent him as a prophet, but Jonah could not pay enough attention to himself to say, hey, man, look, I'm still this broken man. I'm still this guy who battles. And, and I get angry, and, 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 and the Ninevites are my enemies, and I know how gracious and merciful God is. And so, man, I just, I'm struggling here. But I want to please God. I want to love God. I want to be obedient to God. Instead, he justified his disobedience. By in chapter 4, he would say, you know, didn't I tell you just that? Didn't, that's what I was talking about. That's why I didn't want to come. That's why I first went to Tarsus. And so he's... We do that. We justify the ends versus the means. It's no different when we talk and we apologize for profanity or cursing. Or, oh, I'm sorry, God. But God's like, you don't have to be sorry. You're choosing to speak like that. When we do something, oh, sorry, God. And God's like, hey, I don't control you. You have to submit to me and submit to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to have an authority in your life to lead and guide you. I'm not, the Holy Spirit's not going to make you. And I think that that's the challenge in the fourth point that I'm going to close with. Because see, in this third point, we know that Jonah is not being who God called him and created him to be. And he needs to learn who he is. He's a proud and, and, and unfaithful and, and, and disobedient child of God, very quick to anger. A lot of times we'll get angry at things, we'll, we'll lash out at people, and then we're apologizing about it. And God's saying, hey, bro, hey, sister, hey, daughter, hey, son, that's who you choose to be. Now, I want you to catch this. Jonah knows that, and yet he still does it. I mean, think about, okay, 
in chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 2, or verse 1, let's read it again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, or our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know, say that with me, I know. Say this to your neighbor. You know. Say this to somebody else. He knows. This is Jonah. For I know, I, Jonah, know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. I mean, that's a sermon series in itself. Because Jonah's totally opposite. Jonah is not merciful. It actually goes on to say that in verse 5, that he went out the city to sit up on a hill to see them get smoked. He wasn't having mercy. And they deserve this. They're going to get it. God's going to smoke them. We know that the Ninevites, by God's anger towards them and their behavior and their blindness, that they didn't deserve. There was nothing that they were doing in their lifestyle that equated or valued that God would send Jonah all the way from his own country to Nineveh to preach a message of deliverance, repentance, and redemption. There was not one thing that they had done. But God did it anyways. That's his grace. And Jonah, when he, he said it, didn't I tell you this? Before, when I was even still in my country, that's why I left the Tarsus. So we know that he had no grace. They don't earn it, so I'm not giving it to him. So he went to Tarsus. They deserve to be destroyed. They deserve to be smited by God. And therefore, he goes up and out of the city and he goes up in the mountain. Gets under, builds himself a little uh, shelter, tries to get a little shade to see what would happen to him. And that's not how God operates, but that's how he's operating. God's slow to anger, yet he's quick to anger. You know what I'm saying? So when you are quick to anger and you are quick to lash back, remember, that's not who God is. And we can apologize for that behavior, but really what it is, is that we know better. You and I know God's not angered like you and I are. And he's not hostile like you and I are. And he's not lacking mercy like you and I are. Or lacking grace like you and I are. And he is totally different because he is forever abundant in loving kindness. And we lack that. Amen. And he relents. I mean, he holds back for miles, if I could say, for universes to ever put harm onto somebody but we are quick to put that harm i'm gonna lay hands on that person i'm, I'm gonna let that person have it so we have to be careful and this is the fourth point because i'm going to close with this i'm going to transition from the jonah part to you and i that jonah here is totally being opposite to god here's a key word in chapter two he says for i know so when God references 120, and remember, he tells him that he is angry. Therefore, now, Lord, 
In verse 3, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die. And the Lord said to him, is it right for you to be angry? This wasn't Jonah's mercy. This wasn't Jonah's grace. This was God's grace. That's why he said, is it right for you? I mean, a lot of times we think, well, but if it feels right. I have a right to be. No, listen. Jonah was angry for something that wasn't even his. You, you and I today as God's people, in the fourth point, as I'm trying to make that transition over, that you and I today, we, we don't give people mercy. And we don't, people, we don't give people grace. That's the grace and mercy that God gave to you and I when we got saved. And then we share that grace that God has that from him to them, from him to you. It's not my grace. It's not my mercy. It's not even my message. It's not my gospel. It's the word of the Lord. And Jonah was angry because he knew already what God was going to do. You and I both also know that because of Jesus, we have mercy and grace. But God, God's a God of wrath. But even him as the creator and the father, that he relents from doing harm. That's why he gave us Jesus. He gave all authority under Jesus. And therefore, he, Jesus tarries just long enough that we would have the opportunity for eternal life. See, here's the problem in point four for you and I tonight. See, you and I, in, in truth and reality, if we know better, and we're the Jonah, if we don't know right from left and we're unable to discern between right and left then we're blinded and i believe that those what jesus what god was beginning to explain to jonah in this portion of scripture through the prophet jonah to the people was the ninevites were pagan people they had no ability they had no awareness they were blind and they were lost they did not know god now, we know that we studied this on Sunday, that they came to fear God. We know that because the men on the fishing boat, they threw Jonah over the side and they began to worship God. And because Jonah did show up on the doorsteps of the city of Nineveh and preached what God told him to preach. The king went in, came out the next day and told all the city that we must repent. And they feared the Lord. So they got saved. So no longer were they blind. And no longer were they uh, pagan or, or unworthy because the blood that eventually would cover you and I was being covered by God directly in their repentance. Jonah was there speaking to them that God had a plan for them. Now, I want you to understand this, that there it will be uh, accountability. I want you to see this. See, see, Jonah is angry at God's mercy and grace. And he knows that he's slow to anger and that he, he's one who relents from doing harm. And Jonah wanted to do harm. And so he wanted to be dead. He said, just kill me. Wish me on to death. And then he goes on and he's mad because the very thing that God created, which was the tree. And the very thing that God created, which was the worm and the wind. That killed the tree and took the shade. And Jonah's angry again and wishes that he was dead. And then Jesus says, should you have a right to be angry at the plant? 
I want you to see that. Because see, if we are not the pagan and we're not the lost, maybe you're listening to this message and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're the Ninevite. Example of the Ninevite people. The people in Nineveh. And God, man, he wants to shower you with grace. And he wants to over, over, overpower you with love through his mercy. And he wants to redeem you. And, 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 and give you the inheritance that we have today through Jesus Christ. But for those of us who are Jonah that know. In other words, if you can answer the question, yes, I know right from wrong. And if you know right from wrong, then somebody in your life has done right. Your mom taught you, your dad taught you, your, your grandmother taught you, your grandfather taught you, your aunt, your uncle, your tío, your tía, you know, a, an older brother, an older sister, whoever it may be, a friend, the church you've attended, those of you that still um, occasionally come here, those of you that faithfully come here, and those of you that uh, faithfully stay connected, whatever the situation or scenario may be. Maybe you have two other pastors or other churches you attend. I know a lot of people that come to visit here at Praise Chapel Covina. And they, they really, if you ask them, they probably have another church. We have a few people like that. But, but my point is this. Somewhere during that network of people and network of ministry, you know right from wrong. And that's where God's dealing with you and I. See. He deals with Jonah on two different incidences. And I want you to know on the second incident that the issue that he's dealing with, that he gives him the plant and then he gives him the worm and the worm does its process. And then the tree dies. I want you to see that because I want you to catch this. If God created the plant, he could have just destroyed it. Isn't that amazing? If God created the plant to give him shade, then he could have destroyed the plant to give him shade. But that's just it. Then Jonah could turn around and say, oh, wow, Lord, I said in verse two that you relent from doing harm. No. God created life. And he let life's process go through. How's that? Because when something dies, it brings forth new life. When a fruit, seed bearing fruit, is demolished or killed, eaten, its seed produces more. That one fruit, which was one seed, has multiple seeds inside. And therefore, those seeds, if tossed in the right way or harvested in the right way, then they will produce much more fruit. When somebody has, which, there's times where people have passed away in our family, and that passing away of that person has touched many lives. It's even woken us up. I know I have an uncle that passed away uh, many years ago when I was in the seventh, eighth, seventh grade going into the eighth grade. His life that was lost changed my life to what it is today. I turned from uh, uh, the family way of life, you know, growing up in the barrio and, and, and hanging around with the homies to turning around from black to white and hanging around with a whole different crowd, not desiring to be you know, with the homies and in the audio and hanging out like that. But instead, another set of friends that were more into school and education. And that's what brought me here today. And, and, and I know it was the death of a loved one that I was extremely close to. 
that changed my life. So death brings life. And so here's the process that God creates the, the tree. But he knows that that tree will have to produce more trees. It's not just for Jonah. It's for everybody around. So in order to do that, there has to be a process of life, like a fish and, a, and an eagle, right? Or a small fish and a bigger fish. A human fishing catches the fish. We produce energy and life, sustainability, and so forth and so on. The process of life. So he creates a, a worm, and the worm does its process. It looks for something green to eat. Finds the only tree in that desert place, and he eats it and kills it. Now, Jonah's not mad at the worm. The worm is what killed that plant. And he's not even angry at the plant for even dying. So here's the point. That God did not strike the tree down because he's relentless. And not wanting to cause you and I harm. And in that relentless to not cause us harm, he allows the process to be fulfilled and completed. Like the worm destroying which what he created. So I close with this. There are processes maybe going on in your, in my life today that that worm is eating away at. And God gave us something and that worm is eating what he gave us or what he created for you and I. But see the process, the process is life. And in that process of life that we can't walk around blinded thinking that we're not going to be held accountable for the things that we do and the things that we don't. Beloved, I'm sharing you this tonight as I close with a deep and dearest heart of love and compassion for every hearer of this message. You and I will be held accountable for the do's and the don'ts, for the yes and the no's. And yes, even the in-betweens, I don't care. It's none of my business. That's not my calling. That's for somebody else. All those middle ground positions that we take. Because see, we're either of one or two people. We're either the pagans and the blinded people of Nineveh, where we do not know the right from the left or right from wrong. And we're unable to discern that because of the way we were brought up or the lifestyle we chose to live. But I'll tell you this, God is faithful to send a messenger like Jonah. And maybe you, somebody else that is called, but I know I am, and you're getting the message right now. So if you do not know, and you're here listening to this message for the first time, you just got to ask God for forgiveness. Tell him that you acknowledge his son as the savior of that forgiveness and to forgive your life and that you dedicate who you are to him. And then call us, text us, and we'll take you through the rest of the process. Wasn't meant for you to pray that uh, that prayer of forgiveness as a sinner and do it on your own and then go about it on your own. No, it's coming to the house of God and to the family of God. And we would love to serve you. I would love to serve you in all those capacities. Now, listen, and the second person, if you're not that pagan, and you're the Jonah, you're the one that I know you are a merciful and gracious God. And I know you relent to not harm. And I know that you're abundant in loving kindness. See, we know that. In other words, we know the word. We know right from wrong. God has showed us from right from wrong. Some of you have been in the church just long enough to know whether you're serving God or not. And here's the thing. 
You can go on and take it out on anything else and blame it on everything else. But the reality is this. God began to deal with Jonah in specific ways. Just like that when he told Jonah, I am going to save Nineveh. And Jonah was angry even onto wishing himself death. And then God provided even in his disobedience and his wandering. Amen. A tree to protect him so that he would not. He would not die and perish in that sun beating down heat. But the process went through. And God used that also to show Jonah, you have pity on the tree. Should I not have pity on the people? And the reality is this, beloved, that you and I, we've we, we got to come to reality. And God is a God of judgment. He will judge our comings and our goings. He will judge our yes and our no's. Oh, Jesus saves us. But there is accountability in that salvation. Let me close with this. And let me say it in this way. If you get married. Then the woman is your wife. And the man is your husband. For you to get married. And go back out living a single-ish life. Where the woman is with other men. Or the man is with other women. Or you lack in your commitment of, of fidelity. And, and, and faithfulness to the matrimony of your marriage. How do you plan to stay married? How do you plan to even say you're married? If you're not being faithful to one another. Let's use a different one. If you get a job somewhere. And they hire you. But you do not follow the rules. You do not do the work. Or you do not show up for work. How can you say you're an employee there? Sooner or later you'll be written off. As a no-show. Or an underproducing employee and then let go due to performance. Or maybe you're a parent. But if you don't provide for your children, raise your children, guide your children. If you just drop your kids off at school and expect the world and civilization to raise and influence your kid. How can we call ourselves parents? Now, I want you to be careful with that. Remember, they're with these teachers. Literally almost eight hours a day when you and I as parents come home and we're there with them maybe two to four hours a day. Who's going to have the more influence? And then they bounce back and forth between periods and they got teachers and principals and proctors and guidance counselors. And sooner or later, they become the influence to their lives. Now, I'm not saying that you got to take them out of school. I mean, yes, my wife and I homeschooled our children because we wanted that impact into our kids' lives. But I'm just saying this. you. If you have your kids in school, then you it is your responsibility. It behooves you to go and take that time and make it very quality time when you don't have the quantity because you got to get them back to sleep to get them back up to go back to school the next day or you got to go to work. But that quality of time, if, Dad, you're sitting there uh, watching TV on the couch and you're missing that opportunity with your children. If Mom, amen, is caught up with all these uh, bouncing back and forth with activities, and we're losing the interpersonal guidance and influence into our children's life, like being parents and speaking into their lives, guiding them and showing them examples of what it is to live for God and to live in God and to live for God. Then the world who does not live for God will influence them. And therefore, when they become teenagers, they already have a pathway of life. And it's not because you failed, because you just didn't do it. Jonah didn't fail. He just didn't do what God wanted him to do. 
So God swallowed them up in a whale. And those are times in our lives we have just been in that valley of disobedience. So I close with this, beloved, that you and I understand that there is two. The pagan, the blind, the unknowing, the unability to know right from left, right from wrong. And then there's the Jonas or those who know. You and I know God loves you. If you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ, then you're not the blinded sight. You're no longer blind. You're just being disobedient. You're no longer, amen, uh, uh, trying to work it out. No, you're just proud. and You're just disobedient. God, in the time when we didn't know right from wrong, and then God saved us, it's not because it's hard and there's too much and you're tired. No, you're just not faithful. And as I said on Sunday, if you know who you are, you can become who you are. And sometimes we just got to sit back and make that analogy and say, I'm just not a faithful person. I'm just not an obedient person. I'm just not a person who can be counted on. And I want you to understand that. Man, I failed today, man. I had one of the worst, worst fears. You ever had that fear that you just oversleep? And miss an appointment. Well, I had one of those today. Uh, it was. It's, it's still weighing heavily on my heart. I used my son's computer to do something. It set him into a mode. Because it has his mom's pictures all over the front. As a screensaver. And he didn't know what I was doing. And I think the last time we did that. Uh, we use, well, Typically we use that computer. Especially when we go on trips. And so I thought. I think he thought we were leaving tonight or yesterday night, last night or something, or today, and he just wouldn't, you know, he just had a rough night. Not not a, a bad night. He just was on alert. He didn't want to sleep because he wanted to make sure he was watching me. And so um, I said, okay, fine. I got to be somewhere by 10 o'clock. I'm just going to stay up. I can always get my boy up and get him into the vehicle, and then he can go back to sleep in the car. And uh, I stayed up, and around 8, between 8 and 8.30, uh, I, I hired somebody to come and take care of my son uh, while I was uh, attending to this funeral. And um, I fell asleep. And I overslept. Uh, it's never happened. I will stay up all night. I will camp out at the place if I know I won't be able to make it on time. Sometimes it just happens. I share that because, see, for some of us, it's all the time. We just don't have a sense of importance when it comes to investing our relationship with God. This will weigh on me for a very long time. Why? Because the people are very special to me. There's not, nothing I wouldn't do for them. But I blew it. But see, tonight, I'm here at church, Sunday, I'm here at church, you call, you need, I'll do my best to be there. Because that's who I am. And I know without God, I am an unfaithful person. I'm a person that can't be counted on. Now, I know there was shared forgiveness and saying it's okay, but I still have conviction. Do you? Jonah did it. Jonah was not one bit convicted all the way up until the very end. Sometimes the way we speak, the way we act, 
our behavior that we respond to conflict and situations, we're still acting like we've never been saved before. And we think that it's an apology to God when God's saying, hey, that's your choice. Rather than God saying to you and I, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a lifestyle that we have to develop in each and every one of us. We must know who we are to become who we are. But most of all, most of all if you know the difference between right and wrong, then you're in a different category than who the people were being graciously and mercifully be, being redeemed. Because some of us have already been redeemed, yet we still live in that pagan way of disobedience, arrogance, proud, pride, unfaithfulness, just straight out unaccountability. So tonight, God, we asked, Lord, forgive us for those shortcomings and allow us, God, to be able to rise up to who you called us to be, God. And Father, no more. Let us not be those that just we, we say or we blame or we use reasons to justify. See, I was that person who I had to say, you're just not faithful, Ray. And Ray, you're just so proud. You're so proud. You're arrogantly proud. You're unfaithful. You're disobedient. You're very angered. You're lacking patience. All these characteristics, before I could lay them onto your plate, to your throne, I was lost and bound. But you saved me. And when I was blind, you gave me sight again. And then when I was able to realize that these traits in my life were still evident, I would bring them to your altar and lay them at your feet, in which I even do up until this very day. And I lay them out, even up until this very moment right now in this prayer. We lay them before your throne right now. That you may help us, God, to rid those inconsistent, ungodly, and mannish characteristics about us. That we may be your vessels. Those vessels of honor and your vessels of glory that you can work through. And God, that we could just come to the truth when we just can't be counted on. To the moment, God, when you can count on us for anything and everything. And I pray that tonight, God, over your listeners, over our church, that unlike Jonah in the beginning, God, when you call us, we respond. Because we have a relationship and we're willing to be right there in the thick of it. Just as a husband to a wife and a wife to a husband or a mother and father to a child and so forth and so on. God, we give you all the glory, especially for those of us who know right from left and right and wrong. Thank you so much for sharing this message. Thank you so much for speaking to us, God. And once more. We are grateful for another opportunity to get it right before it's too late and you call us home. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you.